Hi, it's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. And today we're going to talk about a pro body, the other pro body. Everyone knows about the Nikon F and the F2. Today we're going to talk about the F1. And I have some friends on who are going to explore with me this lovely camera and its history. And they all shoot F1s. And we've got two guests who have been shooting with the F1 for a long time. And uh, we have one of our very own, John Meadows, who lusted after one as a teenager. And it's, it's love later in life. He got a chance to try, try one. And as the, the old cliche goes, yeah, John likes it a lot. Roll with the theme. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back. So, um, who do I have with me tonight? Well, of course, my partner in crime, John Meadows. Uh, we also have from the Toronto Film Shooters, uh, Ori Carmona. Hello. And returning, none other than Jess Hobbs of uh, the Eastern Townships in Quebec. And welcome Hi. back. So without further ado, Canon F1. Canon, Canon has a long storied history as a camera maker, but pro bodies is something that they, they sort of wrestled with a bit. Like they had an amazing rangefinder series with the P and the Canon, if a can, various iterations of the Canon 7. They even, when the SLRs came out, had the Canon, yeah. the Canon Flex and the Pelix and a whole host of, SLRs that appeal to, I would say, the amateur market of various skill levels, but they didn't have a pro body. Well, that changed in 1971. The F1 was born. Now, again, some people are going to be going, well, is this? it, it, it was introduced the same year as the F2, but I'm going to make, um, again, this is my opinion, and you, know, you can take it or leave it. I think it's a reply to Nikon's F. Bear in mind, the Nikon F was out since 1959. So by 1971, it was getting long in the tooth. The Canon F1 delivered features that photojournalists were looking for, like a faster shutter speed, in this case, one two thousandth of a second. It was a system camera like the Nikon F with interchangeable prism heads. So you can get an EE servo head, which could deliver shutter priority, sort of. Canon was big on shutter priority. And you could get a sports finder, or you can go even, a, I think, waist level finder too, but I don't think that really sold all that well. So what Canon did, it came with motor drives, uh, interchangeable focusing screens. It delivered everything a photojournalist, or in this case, sports photographer could want. Now, before we go any further, uh, naming convention, because there are actually two Canon F1s out there. The Canon F1 we're starting with was produced from 1971 to 1981. It had a good 10-year run, but halfway through around 1976, the F1 became the F1N lower case. Things get a little more complicated down the road, but we'll get there in a sec. So around 1976... Canon was making a very big push to appeal to sports photographers. They sponsored the Montreal Olympics 
they have a special edition F1, the Montreal Olympics uh, uh, bodies. You can find them out there, but they're going to be a little bit more uh, in terms of dollars unless you find uh, one through a local seller by just sheer luck. So while the original Nikon F1 had a shutter speed to one one two thousandth of a second, the uh, meter only read to 1600 ISO. So in 1976, Canon made some changes to the F1, which gives it the lowercase and at the designation at the end. So the ISO was increased from 1600 to 3200 ISOs. Uh, now, with the original F1, it had a really long film advance throw. With the F1 end, they decreased that down to 139 degrees from 180. Some people, it's critical. Others who are not pro shooters, they don't mind the longer throw. So it really kind of depends on your shooting style. Now with the Canon F1N, it uh, did not receive the Montreal Olympics. The Montreal Olympics edition was from the original F1. The F1N, the Olympic edition with that was the Lake Placid Olympics. Again, there's a price premium to be had. Now, other special editions exist out there, including uh, there's been an olive green examples have been seen at Bellamy Hunt from Japan Camera Hunter did a YouTube video on that. And it was his chance to review the platform in general, which again is a great background video. But again, the olive ones were for military customers, but they even continue producing them in very small, small numbers because somebody within Canon thought the color scheme looked kind of cool. Now, of course, other military customers included the US Navy. They bought a ton of them. So some wound up overboard when they were done. Others wound up going home with servicemen after their tours were completed. And they decide, yeah, we're replacing it with something. So here you go. Make it disappear. So uh, like Nikon, uh, Canon was on a product cycle. A ten year, looked, looked to be a 10-year product cycle. So the F1 was sort of mirroring the F2. So in 1981, Canon basically said, fine. The old F1 is dead. We're now coming out with the new F1. Which, if you squint really close with the eye-level prism, it kind of looks like the old one, but it has a hot shoe on top. And that's being simplistic. The camera is really a, a new camera. Canon, in their own infinite wisdom, was not terribly inventive with their model designations. So, yeah, new F1. Well, they couldn't call it the F2. No, no. And of course, Nikon had the F3 that came out at, the t at that point in time. Now, the, there are big differences between the F different design features. Again, like the original F1, the new F1 had interchangeable uh, prisms. Uh, they had the eye-level prism, which basically just makes the camera a, a, a manual focus camera with a hybrid shutter. So what are we talking about? The shutter speeds... 160th and below with the new F1, it was electronically controlled. Everything above is, a, is mechanical. And it had a very sophisticated meter uh, that metered off, I believe, the focusing screen of all places and took the same S4 SR44 battery as the Canon A series, like the AE1 and the A1. So if you're um, a shooter who uses an AE1 or an A1 and you're looking for a pro body, maybe the new F1 is something you may want to consider. 
but we'll get to that in a little bit. So it was designed to compete with the F3. And in some ways, Canon was further ahead than Nikon. In other ways, you kind of sit there and you're frustrated because unlike the F3, which is aperture priority capable right out of the box, if you wanted your F1, new F1 to be a aperture priority capable, you have to get the AE prism head and you needed a motor drive. Yeah, they, they don't make it easy for you. But the Canon, I think in some ways is kind of evil in that way because they wanted you to buy the accessories. So the new F1 also had an Olympic edition with the 84 Olympics. Uh, it was used by, I believe, President Clinton's White House photographer in, in the early 1990s. And we, uh, the new F1 lasted. And again, the other thing with Canon is they weren't terribly fastidious with their records when the cameras got discontinued. Canon kind of got rid of the FD mount in the late 1980s when e the EOS mount was introduced, but they kept the F1, new F1 uh, in the catalog up until like the mid-1990s. And I think they stopped the fact, uh, factory maintenance support in the early, 20, uh, early 21st century. So that camera actually had a long lifespan. Like it lasted another good 12, 14 years. So, you know, it's a, both cameras, again, it's, they're both very sophisticated cameras. Now, uh, again, from with our with our guests, we've all got experience with uh, various F1s. So, Ori, how long have you had your F1? I've had it for, well, since around December 2019. Okay. So, you've had it for a couple of years and uh, yeah. it's basically become your workhorse, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I... It's a camera I really didn't need. Uh, well, do we need any of them, right? I have my EOS 1N, which I, as you know... It's, it's a beast. Work, it's a beast. It's a workhorse. I have the A1, the FT. Like, so the, the last thing I needed is one more thing. And, and, I, and I held this camera before, especially in one of those um, big shows, the, the photography big shows that I will never go... The camera fairs. Yeah, <laughs> I miss yeah. those too. And so... You know, in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, you're just going on eBay and you just look. You just curiously, out of curiosity, you look at prices and you want to see how much it is. And you, and I went like make an offer. It was Robert's camera, which I really, I really like that that store. Robert's camera. It's like, okay, let's just as a joke, let's put fifty dollars. At least let's. See. Well, they said that the meter isn't working, and they said that it's missing the bottom bottom plate. The bottom plate is a tricky one. Um, it doesn't really affect the camera. But it's being held by this one. That's by by this screw here that holds the whole the whole plate. And I think that originally that was intended for attachments or for booster or for or for uh, motor drive. Motor drive. You take so, the bottom off for the motor drive, and it was held the bottom of the F one slash F one N. Be careful with the designations here. Uh, the battery cover was holding the bottom in. Yeah, and so I put fifty dollars and. Instantly, it accepted my offer. It's like, oh my God, it was a joke. I didn't mean it, right? <laughs> Later, it happened with a Hasselblad as well, but <laughs> that's for another time. But um, they took the offer, and I got the camera a week or two after. And the, the battery chamber just needed a bit of cleaning with uh, a Q-tip and, and vinegar. Mm. That's it, right? Now, I don't have the right battery for it, but it does work. The match needle does work. It roughly meters the, the area. If I get the, the exact, the exact uh, 1.3, it should be okay. 
I just want to, I, I, I never re, I, I don't rely on those uh, batteries on the, on the uh, meter of an old camera anyway. Uh, but it works. It, it was just fine. And I found another retailer who had the spare um, bottom plate. So he sent it to me, someone from Japan. And um, lo and behold, I had the whole kit. Mm. But it, it took a while. So I went with John for a walk on Young Street. It was a really cold morning, really, really cold day in January. Don't know if you remember. Don't know if you remember that, John. I got also because of you, Bill. I got the twenty-eight Chiron lens. Yeah, I blame you for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I was I was astounded how how precise everything was. The shutter speed, the the ease of use, everything. Um, it was a very very cold day, which was a really good time to take the camera out and see. And so it worked fine. Everything was mm. fine. I think there was only one spacing issue with one frame but that never happened again after mm. so you know you can you can sometimes have those issues i mean it, it might happen it's not perfect but it, it it's not an issue otherwise i mean it was working fine mm. and then two months down the road my son saw it when i came back from a photo walk and it was on the table and he pulled the whole thing and it fell and i thought that's it this camera is done right and so I, I loaded the film, I, lo- I wrote a slide, a slide film and I went out to shoot and I realized after that everything was not advancing correctly. But lo and behold, I found the small screw, a tiny, tiny screw that was in the um, take-up spool on the other side that was mm-hmm. missing. I don't know how I found it. It was like this tiny. I put it in and it works just fine. So it's pretty amazing how actually easily workable this camera is. It's not much philosophy, mm-hmm. at least not in the 1971 edition, right? No. Um, Ergonomically, I really enjoyed. I haven't done any photo shoot with it, like a portrait shoot with it, because I just I'm just too attached to my EOS One N. But mm. for street photography, for landscape, it's it's a delight. It's lovely. It's lovely to use it any time of the year as well, and that's a wonderful uh, toy to have. So, Jess, uh, how did you come across the uh, your F One? Is it like the original one or the sort of later seventies ed- edition? And- yeah, uh, so mine um, was actually a gift. It was a birthday present from Jody. Um, if you don't know who he is, well, he's my my other half. <laughs> um, so he bought it for me for my birthday back in 2015. Uh, it was my first uh, real deal professional SLR that I'd ever had, uh, and I really wanted it. Um, it is the original F1. Uh, okay. That was, I don't know why at the time that was super important for me, um, but now that I've learned a lot more about cameras. I actually think that the F1N is pretty cool. Uh, just because it's got that extra little bit, you know, the ISO dial up to 3200. It's got your little film reminder plate on the back that the original one doesn't have. Um, but I mean, otherwise they're essentially the same camera, but, uh, yeah, so he bought me that one for my birthday and I took that around with me everywhere. Um, I shot, um, a big year-long project uh, that I called the Festival Project, um, where I went around to all the different festivals I could find in the city of Montreal within one calendar year. So I went to 225 different festivals, um, different lighting, uh, bright sunny days outside, uh, cold winter days outside, uh, really dimly lit indoor things. And that camera did not fail. Uh, I did have to now and then like shooting at like a, 
um, like a theater festival or something where everyone's really quiet around you. I'd have to cough before, like while shooting to make sure no one could hear the shutter <laughs> slap. But, you know, you learn the little tricks along the way. Um, but I actually, well, it's not mine. I can't claim it as mine, but I found online someone was selling the Montreal edition uh, of the F1 for $25. And I said to Jody, we have to jump on this. If this is real, like we got to do this. So we were on our way. We drove up to Laval to check it out. As we're driving there, I'm super excited in my head, just thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to have an Olympics edition. I'm really, really excited about this. It's going to be really cool in my collection. And then Jody just interrupts my thoughts with, that camera is going to be for me, right? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I can't Define give him me. mine. <laughs> yeah. Or they're, hey, you want to trade? <laughs> well, that's you like, want to trade? I can't give him mine because he gave it to me for my birthday. So I'm like, okay, I have to keep my F1. I'm like, darn. Okay. So yeah. So now technically the Olympics edition is his. Um, and it's heavily brassed. We bought it. The people we bought it from were, um, she was uh, the daughter of a photojournalist who at, was actually gifted it during the Olympics to shoot with. And he had all kinds of different cameras and uh, including Nikons. And she actually ended up keeping his Nikon and selling his Canon gear. So we got the F1 Olympics edition with a 35 millimeter F 3.5 lens and a hundred millimeter uh, 2.8 lens for $60. I can't, I still can't believe it to this wow. day. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's still really impressive. $60, 60 bucks. Yeah. Oh, and I also got the, I found one, one time the, uh, 85 millimeter F 1.8 lens. Uh, it was selling at a value village for $25 with some other Nikon lens and some like adapter piece. But I gave the Nikon lens to a friend cause she had, uh, she has a Nikkor mat. So I gave her that lens, uh, cause it would fit and kept the, uh, kept the Canon for myself. And that's actually my favorite lens is the 85. For I portraits, that, that is a beautiful lens. In fact, we should it probably is. talk a little bit about the FD mount because that was introduced at the same time they can introduce both the F1 and the FTB. And the FD mount, is, uh, it was their baby uh, and they ran that all, they ran with it all the way to the bitter end in the early 1990s. Even though they weren't making any more bodies, they were still making lenses. And now, mm -hmm. like the F1, there are two generations of uh, uh, FD. You've got the breech lock, which is the chrome end, where you kind of twist to lock it in. And then you've got the FDN, and vastly different construction. Like the FDN lenses were introduced like, in the very late 1970s, around 1978, 79. They were plastic. It was a resin construction. Not that there was anything wrong with it. Uh, it was probably in some ways Canon was foreshadowing what was coming down the road. A little lighter as well in, in weight. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're, bear in mind, F1s, regardless of like generation, they're not light bodies, especially the <laughs> earlier no. ones. No. Uh, so the FDN lenses, if you choose your lenses complement well, you know, you could probably, it's, it's a reasonably light kit. Now the earlier lenses are we'll politely say sturdier construction <laughs> <laughs> and in some of the and, and it's funny because the reputation in some canon lenses like the the 
Canon lens is their 51.4. It does yes. any other 51.4 on the market. Uh, and, I, and I say this as an, as an icon head. It's like, yeah, Canon FD 51.4 just rocks. Uh, be it the uh, Chrome Nose, the SSC, or the FDN. It doesn't I have... I have the FDN, which I really, really, I really love. I had four different copies of the breech lock one, the 1.4. Mm-hmm. All of them had a sticky shutter. One of them yeah. got like really jammed. One of them broke. I never had luck with the SSC. Never, ever had luck with those. That's uh, odd. But the FDN, beautiful. Like works oh, yeah. like a charm. Beautiful. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I've been sort of scanning some photos recently. I've shot... Uh, on a recent photo walk that we did in the beaches and it's color film. And it's just like, I had to do almost no touch-ups in, in Lightroom. It was just like, Oh wow. Like, this is perfect. Okay. Next, next let's keep going. Actually one of my favorite FD Canon FD lenses is the 35 F2 with a silver nose and with a thorium glass. That's, that's a lens I'm looking for. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, and again, I'll get to my my F1 story in a bit. But we we'll, let, let's talk to John. You've been you've been a, a man of few words so far this evening. Yeah, I, I know you don't quite own one yet, but tell us your story. <laughs> well, I hope I hope to uh, address that that deficiency soon. But so again, sort of as as you. Uh, Related in the introduction, Bill, uh, you know, it, it's the mid 1970s, late 1970s. I'm a teenager. It's it's 1976. Um, the camera I'm using back then was my father's Voigtlander Vital B, a nice camera, by the way, but not an SLR. And I really wanted an SLR. And this is back in the pre-internet days. So I'd buy the photo magazines like Popular Photography, Modern Photography, Peterson's Photographic. And I'd look at the ads and I lusted after the Canon F1. That was the camera I wanted. Uh, I didn't pay too much attention to the Nikon, you know, F2 at that time, but I really wanted the Canon F1. Now, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of money, you know, weren't all that rich growing up. So in, in February 1977, I ended up with a Yashica Teal Electro, which was, you know, Nothing wrong with that camera. I still have it, still works, but never, just could never get the F1. And of course, now they're a bit, uh, compared to, you know, the AE1 or even some other cameras that are just, uh, that pricing is ridiculous. The F1's a bargain. So I'm hoping to get one. So Ori lent me uh, an F1 body last uh, last weekend, and I had a, a 518 chrome nose from an FTB that was gifted to me some time ago. And also... Um, Bill lent me a 28.28. So we were shooting in Alora, Ontario, great place to shoot. Um, and I bonded with that camera immediately. Like I, I've had AE1s in the past, never bonded with them. I've had other cameras I just didn't bond with. This one, that the only thing I had to be shown on the F1 was where's the shutter unlock button, uh, where's where and where the uh the little button is to open the uh, the back, the film back for putting in, taking out film, putting a film in. Apart from that, everything else is just sort of it's where you expect to be. So yeah, I was like, I was. It felt like an extension of my hand very, very quickly. And what I really, really liked was how smooth the film advance was. And this is like an original, you know, original F one. And I know as they went on, they did some further improvements 
on the manual film advance, but even this original one, it was, uh, what did I call it, uh, Bill? I think something like uh, butter and bacon grease. That's how smooth it was. Yeah, it, it was smoother than butter and bacon and grease. Bacon grease, yeah. And, and that was a bit of a running joke that day. <laughs> and the, uh, like, I've had cameras in the past where when you wind the film, the, the, the advance feels so rough. You feel like you're grinding coffee beans and that every, every, every frame wind will be its last. But... Uh, but this one was really, really smooth. Uh, viewfinder is good. Of course, there's nothing wrong with the FD glass. So I keep telling myself, I don't need another platform. You know, I've been trying to declutter the last few years, but uh, I think I'm going to have to uh, come out of purchase about a buying retirement, so to speak, and get an F1 kit. So... I'm, I, it's it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, and the when will be ASAP. Wow. So, okay. Uh, I've been sort of reticent about this. Uh, my re- relationship with Canon in general, I started film photography on a, I was gifted a Canon Rebel in the late 1990s. That sort of subtle hint from mom and dad. I was working too hard. I was working for a marketing agency at the time, and I needed a hobby. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> we all know what happened next. But I wound up getting a Canon AE1, and we were discussing off podcast. It's like one of those cameras. It's a lovely camera, but I just didn't, I'm not emotionally attached to them like some people are. So early into the 21st century, it was like, okay, 2004, 2005, I was inheriting my dad's Nikon system. So I decided, okay, I'm parting company with the AE1 and the AE and the FD lenses, and that was the end of that. Well, a few years later, it's the old saying of Michael Corleone, just when you thought you were out, they pull you back in. In this case, a friend of mine gifted me her dad's Canon FTB and a few lenses, and then a year later, my brother was fitting his camera hurt because he was moving houses, and he said, hey, Bill, do you want to buy my Canon F1? It was an F1. So I said, okay, sure. It was the new F1 with the eye-level prism. So it was like, had that. It had the silver nose 51.4 lens. And I'm trying to remember what lens, other lenses that came with it. But it was like, and it was, it was a, and it was like one of those sort of like, okay, the AE1 and I, I don't hold on to AE1s. And I love the FTB, but the F1, it's like, ooh. And you just tell that this thing was built to last. And this F1 has been on a variety of adventures with me, you know, day trips. Um, I did a sort of a road trip around Southwest Ontario with a friend of back in 2014, uh, documenting different small towns like Stratford, St. Mary's, Port Stanley. Uh, if you've ever been to my Flickr feed, you'll, you'll find that. And uh, yeah. So what happens next? I get an, a first gen F1. It's a birthday present from my mom. And it's like, wow, this is a great camera. Unfortunately, it was a bit of a problem child. (laughs) So what happened was somebody was doing a repair and they left the gasket out between the um, focusing screen and the mirror box. So there was a light leak that was just bugging the heck out of me. We figured out what it was. Then it worked fine. And then it's like, okay, um, so what happened next? Well, uh, fast forward a few years, 
it's a classic camera revival. And again, it's the running joke on the podcast amongst us co-hosts is gear gets swapped around. Now, James was parting company with his new F1 AE. I always loved the look at that. So I said, okay, fine. Um, I don't need another one. I had an F1 AE, but I wanted this one. Okay, fine. <laughs> at 300 bucks and change, how can you go wrong? Because the lenses that came with it were something else. So it's just like, oh, yeah. And the thing was great. Uh, the only problem was it was missing the little cover for the motor drive which is kind of critical uh, when you are looking for them because uh, no cover for the motor drive, unlike the original F1 where the bottom will just fall off. Light leaks will happen with the new F1. So I did the next best thing. Black duct tape. <laughs> it works. still there. <laughs> Not a problem. And other than that, it, it has been a sturdy workhorse camera too. So I, I, I kind of, and then it, you, you figure, okay, I'm done. No, I'm not. I was on a bit of a camera gas uh, extravaganza this past winter, which was 99% Nikon related products. But I picked up a later 70s Canon F1N and I had a, a rather interesting because uh, it did not have its own built-in flash shoe, just like its Nikon competitor in the pro bodies, you had to buy a, a clip-on flash shoe, either that goes over the uh, uh, rewind wheel and just like, again, the Nikon's competition. But this one was the one that clipped on the rewind wheel, but it was like a flash shoe that went over the prism, like a consumer body. So it was really kind of a cool little accessory to get as well. So now that I have like four F1s, um, one of my new F1 FEs became a Christmas present to my brother, Alex, and he loves it. And, uh, and that's it. So I'm running with four F1s uh, in, my, in my kit. And there's, again, there's sturdy workhorses that just deliver. And... Um, you know, they're weird little things. It's like, um, you know, you, you say, yeah, I'm a Nikon fanboy. But again, I'm also a Canon F1 fanboy because, like I said, these things are, in some ways, Canon kind of fixed what Nikon had. Like, little things, as John pointed out, where the shutter release button is on the body. Whereas on the F, it was towards the back where which Nikon was basically basically riffing the same dial, film, film advance, all the placement for the Nikon SP rangefinder it based the F on, and they didn't tinker with that at all. Whereas the Canon F1, because it was a clean sheet design, chances are the Canon engineers bought a few Nikon bodies to look at and going, okay, how can we make, do better than this? And it's pretty self-explanatory because everything falls into place. And that's what you want when you're out shooting. You don't want to like eh, figure out ergonomics when you're on the fly, particularly if you're trying to get the shot. And my and favorite thing actually about uh, about the F1 and the F1N is the is the battery only powers the meter. And I actually exactly. have one of those MR9 adapters uh, so that I can replace with, I think it's the alkaline batteries I can use or something. You can use the uh, Energizer 357s. 
Yeah, that's it. And you uh, can get them in any supermarket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, with the adapter, I think it takes the 386. So uh, those are, message? yeah, those are a little harder to find. Those are usually more in like pharmacies or like Walmart or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they're still relatively cheap, relatively easy to find. And so that's what I use to power the meter. And what I love about that is, because it does get cold here, you know, um, when I was out shooting with it in the winter, that thing didn't freeze. My AE1, I had to keep swapping batteries in and out of my pockets to keep them warm. But the F1, like that thing just kept going, kept going, kept going. And in the summer on the farm, like I live in a trailer. And so it gets some humidity gets in and warmer temperatures can get in when we don't have the air conditioning going. And that thing just doesn't care. Like cannons, the F1s were not just built like tanks, but they were built to withstand uh, all the temperatures, all the humidities. Like these things were really, really well made. I'm wondering if they, they actually probably took that in consideration. You can take this camera to Siberia, the yeah. cold winter, and it will just work. Exactly. Not sure about the lenses, the camera itself will yes. work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the critical thing. It's like, yeah, the lenses are the other equation. Um, the other thing with the F1, the new F1 is, like I said, it's a silver oxide battery used by AE1s and A1s or AT1s or AV1s, any A-series Canon SLR. So the chair's batteries, not as plentiful as the Energizer 357, which is used in basically all Nikon pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can get them at camera stores or, you know, just a careful search online. You can find them and you just buy a bucket of them because they're, you know, then you don't have to worry because that's silver oxide batteries do keep for a while. And you want that because unlike the seventies F1, the new F1 of the 1980s. Yeah. If you want slow speeds and your battery's dead, yeah, that might be a bit of a problem. <laughs> I have a, I have a three five seven Energizer, yeah, uh, but it's I believe it's a one point five three battery. Yeah, they're one point three, right? Yeah, they're one and a half volts. So I think there's slightly it slightly overexposes just a touch. I think. Mm. I the think key, I yeah. Go ahead. The key thing with the battery is you know like if it's one point five one point three, that's not a huge deal. It's what what is the drop-off characteristic? Because like the good thing about the mercury cells back in the day was they would give you full voltage and then die and then fall off a cliff, as opposed to a battery that just has that sort of gradual decline. So um you 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 need a battery setup that mimics the uh the, the mercury characteristics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the tricky part with some of these you know old cameras that you see out there. And again. And again, it sort of comes down to what, which F1 should I get? I'll jump in. I'll say the mechanical because the, like the thing is last week I was, I wasn't using the meter on Ori's camera. I was just using uh, the app on my phone. Mm-hmm. Pictures turned out fine. And I, I think mechanical cameras, you know, you can, you can work on them. You can fix them. Heck you can repair them with duct tape um, <laughs> as opposed to, let's say, you know, your, all electronics on one motherboard, 1980s, 1990s special. When, when they die, you know, you yeah, know, they're they're gone. So give me a mechanical camera. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of like the mechanical F1s. Uh, 
because the new F1s, while I adore them, I know at some point a repair tech is just going to take one look at it and going, nope, yeah. we're done. <laughs> whereas well, the F1, yeah, whereas the F1s from the 70s, they'll just keep on trucking, which is a shame because I love the 80s F1s. Uh, I have got nothing but amazing results out of them over the Well, look even into uh, the ergonomics of some of the other cameras, like AE-1, for example. The moment you drop it off, you drop it, sorry, and you break the battery chamber, that's oh. it. door, that's it. Yeah. Like, you'll have to really service it. You have to take up the top. And I tried it once, and I destroyed the camera completely. Look at the Elan series, which are fantastic cameras. The moment you break the battery, the, the door latch, the film latch in the back, the camera is done. You cannot even, I don't know if you can, you can 3D print that. It's, it's done, right? And, and the nice thing about the F1, yes, it dropped. A screw fell. I put it back, and it works just fine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like no, magic. They're, they're yeah. built like tanks. Like They're built to, to get beat up and push around and, and all that stuff. And uh, they're still, I guess they're still relatively easy to have fixed. I had mine CLA'd by someone I trust in Montreal and uh, he saw, he sees them regularly. So that wasn't an issue, but AE ones um, I've heard that those can be quite tricky and those are already a little bit more, maybe not electronically controlled, but you know, they, they do take the, the, uh, the L is it the LR44 or something like they that? They could take the LR44 battery. or the, yeah. 4SR44. It's the yeah, same size, it. but that's it's it. one's alkaline, one's silver oxide. Yeah. I will also add, I would like to also add one more thing. Um, there are no light seals on mine. There's thick, there, I guess, no. they fell. There are no light seals, and it's still, there's no light leak. That's amazing. Oh. <laughs> there, yeah. there is no, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I guess we could probably just say if we're going to recommend someone who's a cannon shooter. They've been shooting with the AE1 or an A1, and they want a pro body. Definitely, uh, definitely, definitely take a good long look at the mechanical F1. Uh, Pricing-wise, they are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've alluded to in the past, there are some special editions out there. So we'll just say, for now, if you're looking to buy like a mechanical F1 from the 70s, doesn't they are kind of started around, I guess, 200, 250 bucks and they go up to like 400 Yeah. with the later, the later F1 and lowercase from the back half of the seventies because of all the improvements. If you're looking for a Montreal Olympics or a Lake Placid Olympics of that era, tack on an extra 200 bucks. Easily. Well, I would also say it's good to follow with Robert's camera and KEH because they're very fair. So if they say ugly or bargain, you can really score a nice, nice camera body. Yes. And, and, I, I, and other than brassing, there may, may not be any issue. As opposed oh. to eBay Minty. Yeah, exactly. Or X or excellent X. Plus, plus, X plus, 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 with some dust in the lens. And yeah. something's growing in the fine and, and fungus somewhere. And yeah, <laughs> the cellar. I've never, been to, uh, I've never been to Burlington Camera, but I'm assuming they probably, from time to time, might have a good uh, a good copy of that. Yes, and, and the photography uh, camera show, the camera show, the, like, like there's always a bargain. You can always negotiate a price for a camera. Yeah, camera shows. I'm looking forward to seeing them again because, like, uh, it's it's sort of a, a chance for the community to gather. But again, you know, yeah. during these interesting times, no one wants to go to them. <laughs> no. 
No. Speaking so, of fungus. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> say you got your mechanical F1 and you're looking to sort of, and you got money. So you want to fill it out. The new F1s from the 1980s are a bit more expensive. They kind of start in around the $300 range and they go up. Uh, if it's got the eye level prism, anywhere between $350, $450. Uh, if you've got the AE prism head, now they kind of like from a distance, these kind of look like a Nikon F3 HP if you squint, but it's not. <laughs> it's, an, it's a Canon F1. Uh, it commands a bit more money on average on eBay because they have the, the fancy prism. Again, if you have an LA Olympics one, yeah, tack another $400 on it. <laughs> they tend to go, uh, the, the LA Olympics editions tend to go for seven, $800. I've seen examples, pristine examples over a thousand. Again, that's a little silly. Like as much as that would be fun to have, but the reality is a regular new F1 will do the same job. So unless you're a hardcore collector or completist, yeah, you don't need it. It doesn't show up in the pictures. (laughs) No, it doesn't. There's this guy, David Chan from Hong Kong. He's a collector and he's a camera seller. I'm sure you've seen some YouTube videos about him. He has like so many cameras in his, in his store in Hong Kong, champagne court. That's where he's located. And, uh, he said that the most requested camera that he gets is the original, the 1971 F1 hmm. as well. Some oh. of them he holds, he doesn't sell some of them, and some of them he, he sells. But I also heard about some businesses in Japan that they will take your F1 and it was a repainted for you, whatever color you want, for a good price, but they will make it really look like brand new. That's, that's their, I think, Kanto, Kanto camera. Oh, yeah, okay. If that, yeah, I always think if there's one camera I would sell that, but like uh, send them, what would it be? Probably the F1. I'd leave mine as it is. Mine, she's so pretty. She's all brassed up now. And, <laughs> uh, but, and it looks really nice. You know, like it's funny because even just doing like a, like I was doing a bit of a Google search before just to brush up on, uh, on my F1 knowledge. And, like every blog post that I've seen about it just waxes poetic about the brassing because they are really, really beautiful when they do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the Olympics edition that I had, well, that Jody has, <laughs> uh, that one is super brass, like more so than mine. And it's just, it's so beautiful. I really like that. I, I ha- couldn't agree more. Like I have a, uh, I have a Nikon F, a Photomic uh, at black and it is, well, Bill said it's beaten up. It's brass. I call it's nickname. Like very few of my cameras have nicknames, but this one is Wounded Warrior, <laughs> and I just love the look of brassing on on a black camera. So hopefully, when I get a uh, uh, when I get my own uh, Canon F one, it won't be too pristine. Yeah. You want it to be in user shape too. Yeah. Like, I mean, you want it. You want it to be a really well working body. You don't want to have too many issues. I agree. Um, you know, I had to do mm-hmm. one CLA on mine because uh, it started having like a sticky shutter with a certain shutter speed, um, and so I had a CLA done, and it works perfectly fine. But other than that, for me personally, like I don't, I don't want to buy collectors' bodies. I want to buy user bodies. Mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. to Same use here. those cameras. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd rather have a user bot, a clean, well cared for user body, mm-hmm. 
that has been, you know, it's mechanically sound than a shelf queen. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. So on that note, Ori, uh, again, thank you for coming on. I know you have to put your son to bed. So uh, for those <laughs> listening, yes, it's uh, we're recording in the evening. <laughs> and I also want to thank Jess Hobbs for taking time out of her very busy schedule to, uh, to come on tonight to talk about one of her favorite cameras. And of course, John, uh, our, our trusty engineer who will be joining the Canon F1 family shortly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And again, this is Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. Stay cool, especially on a day like today where we've got a humidex of 40 plus degrees centigrade, which is, I guess, close to 100 Fahrenheit, maybe? Over. Over? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, stay cool, shoot lots of film, and uh, stay hydrated. Bye. Okay, Ori, yours the man a few words. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Um, I could talk about Canon F1s all day long. Uh, so this was great. Plus, it kept me from having to do a full 12-hour day today. So yay! <laughs> well, thanks for the opportunity of talking cameras, talking gear. I don't have a chance to do it every day. So it's, uh, it's a great opportunity. Jess, I look forward to shooting with you uh, for a photo, on a photo walk when you come to uh, Toronto ever. Yes, I'm really hoping to get out. Uh, who knows, maybe this fall, keep Keeping some fingers crossed that all goes well and uh, I really want to get out there and uh, meet everyone in person for once yay yes and this is John Meadows when it comes to pro bodies Nikon's to the left of me Canon's to the right my bank account is effed <laughs> <laughs> <a> good one <laughs>